Good evening. Yay. So, um, before I... Well, it has been my experience thus far that whenever I've got up to speak here, it's normally been like a, a day's worth of migraine beforehand, and I was feeling pretty chilled that I hadn't had a migraine. Until, like, just then, I was like, oh, okay, it's now. So, um, it is hopefully totally all God. Um, don't take this the wrong way if you know me really well, but um, I often attract strangers. <laughs> don't be offended by that, but also some of you, come on. Um, but not as many strangers as my friend Claire, not this Claire, although you attract strangers too. <laughs> Um, my friend Claire um, is awesome. If you've um, come to one of my birthday things, you probably will have met Claire. She's got really funky hair that changes every time you see her. Um, but she is one of my besties. And uh, she went to New Zealand a while ago. And she also attends to attract strangers. And I'm going to read to you what she wrote after this one encounter with a stranger. So... So who are you, said the aging hippie, spotting my hair and attire and parking himself in the sand next to me, presumably assuming that I was some kind of kindred spirit. He'd probably be right. I'm Claire, I replied. I'm from London. How are you going? I didn't ask what you were called. I asked who you are, my new friend replies. Not one for balking at and meeting strangers on beaches, but sure that he can... Uh, but I'm sure that he can see through my thought processes written across my face and the rapid, discreet, born identity-esque um, recipe to just kind of look and see if there are other people around. I reply with, well, uh, I'm a pastor. I write, and um, I started this organisation with my sister called Kate. He squints at me, and as I thought, um, kind of like he thought I had learning issues. No, that's what you do. I asked, who you are? Oh, it's one of those moments, those moments where truth breaks through and you think that you might just be talking to someone that Jesus has sent along just for you. I'm Claire, I reply, taking a breath of the salty air. I'm a treasure in a clay pot. God really, really loves me. And he asks me to help him put the world back together again. So I write and I pastor and I try to change patterns of business and redeem stuff. Nice to meet you, Claire, says my new friend as he gets up to walk off. Have a great day. And he turns in the sand and makes his way up the sand dunes. I never found out his name, but I know that he asks really good questions. I love to travel, and I feel like I can say that because I have got the amazing privilege that I've been able to travel to um, lots of different places. And if you've ever travelled with me, then you'll know that I totally like to embrace the culture of that place. And I believe that I'm from that place. So if you've had the embarrassment of going to Uganda with me, I'm like fully Ugandan when I get there. The dancing, the clothes, the food, everything. When I go to India, I embrace my Bollywood and like get dressed up and I love it, okay? Um, and, you know, uh, going to Vietnam, I embarrassed my friend Jess completely by like, yeah, let's just like use chopsticks. And she's like, you know, what? why didn't I bring a plastic fork? I can't do this. And um, even when I spent a month in Australia, I embraced the Aussie and I even had a ridiculous twang at the end of everything I said. So you can imagine my frustration this summer when I arrived at Lao Airport, realising that I didn't get a visa. And I'm not entirely sure, even to this day, why I didn't organise a visa beforehand. 
reaching that queue and thinking that you're going to be like straight out with everybody else and you can see Lau staring at you, apart from I'm now shipped into this queue that doesn't have a visa and has no right to be in the country. So all my embracing foiled. You can imagine my frustration when I rock up in Darjeeling, presumably my homeland, and I have to join the foreigner's queue and pay a foreigner's fare to get into the zoo. That annoying bit of immigration, when you realise you can't just get through quickly with everybody, but you've got to stand in this slightly less friendly, less smiley queue after a long journey. That feeling of being on a train on the way to, on a sleeper train, thinking, oh, right, I really want to meet new people, I really want to talk to people, everybody speaks a different language. This is just another reminder that I don't belong. So that beautiful feeling kind of turns into feeling like you don't belong. It doesn't matter what clothes you eat, what food, what clothes you eat, what clothes you wear, what food you eat. It's like, that doesn't make sense. What, what food you eat, the tan that you might have, but you're different, you don't fit, you're not the same and you don't belong. But on that flip side, arriving back in Heathrow or Gatwick and knowing that you can join the, the EU queue for now <laughs> and everything's a lot quicker, sort of. The issue of identity is important and it influences everything. Uh, where is my radar? Can I maybe can you come up? Amazing. Thank you, Alison. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so this is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Find you somewhere. Thank you. Right. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who will call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body of, by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, one has destroyed the barrier, sorry, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in the one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he has put to their death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ 
which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel that Gentiles and heirs, together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I become servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. Who created all things, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That was long. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, I always think that to understand Bible passages, it's really good to be able to dig into why it was written. Some books are a bit more obvious, um, and they're really obvious why they're written. So you take the Gospel of John, right at the end, John says, the reason why I wrote this is so that you would know who Christ was and who Jesus was and that he was God. So he makes it really clear. But Paul doesn't do this in Ephesians. He doesn't say exactly why he wrote the letter while sat in prison. But after reading it, I think that maybe he's trying, his reasons for writing it include he wanted the church to know that he'd planned our salvation, our salvation not Paul, but Jesus, to remind us of our blessings because we're saved by grace, that there's no distinction between Jews and the non-Jews or the Gentiles, but that our identity lies in and is wrapped up in God, and to encourage us to live a life worthy of our calling. So, I decided to look up where Ephesus was. I sort of knew it was in Turkey, but it's on the southwest coast of, a, uh, of Turkey, um, it's a large, well, it was a large multi-ethnic centre of trade, commerce and culture. A significant Jewish community was there, but it also was home to many Greeks and Romans, other settlers throughout the uh, Mediterranean. Ephesus was a diverse city at that time, many different beliefs and backgrounds, and it, when it came to faith and religion, it kind of was like anything goes there. They didn't really take well to people saying that they knew the one true God because they were like, anyone can believe what they like. They were slightly obsessed with the goddess Artemis, who was the goddess of fertility and the protector of nature. So it's safe to say the culture was quite a mixed bunch. So when the church started to grow in Ephesus, it became a real mix of people, all the way from high society to those amongst the poorest. The majority were Gentile, so not Jewish by birth, and some were Orthodox Jews. So they had a whole lot of differences going on. The Jews shared a similar heritage and culture, and a characteristic that separated them from other ethnicities. And they often considered all people that were not Jewish as unclean or Gentiles, and in some Orthodox communities, that was like the same. Sadly, the Jews, or some of them, had this exclusive culture, and it made it difficult for others to be part of the church. So Paul starts to address this. He talks about the circumcised and the uncircumcised in flesh, and this whole idea of circumcision was a physical act to represent a spiritual covenant that they had been brought into. But by saying that it was just a flesh, he was kind of trying to point out that it's not about what has happened in the flesh, it's about your heart and what's going on with your heart, and it's the heart that brings you close to God. And it's your heart response to the work of Jesus. It says, 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. Even today, it's easy to create barriers between us and God. Put forward reasons why we don't make the cut, why we don't make the cut to be in God's family, or worse still, we create hoops for other people to jump through and reasons why they didn't make it. It's important to embrace the beautiful fact that we are and can be part of God's family through no work of our own. There's nothing that we can do. It's through Jesus' blood shed on the cross for us that we are brought near to him. The news is awesome because Jesus came to bring peace to those who felt far from God and those that felt near. All of us now have access to God through the same Holy Spirit. Identity and purpose and position are actually so important to us, aren't they? We either focus on it too much or we assume we don't have any. But these are things that influence our behaviour and our attitude to life. And there's a reason why I care about this so much. It's because I think that if we were to know what our true identity was and who we were and really embrace that, we'd help, it would help us find our place in the world. And we really do have a place in this world. Being a teacher, I meet hundreds of children all the time, teenagers, every day grappling with their identity, looking for where they fit, where they belong, where they feel accepted, whether it's in their friendship groups or in their classes or even in their family. And it's hard to watch sometimes. I met a girl once. Um, she was really smart, straight-A student, um, beautiful, but you would barely notice her because she kept herself to herself. She never smiled. Can you imagine knowing somebody who never smiled? And she never frowned. She never had a sad face. She never smiled. It was completely neutral all the time. She never showed any sort of emotion. She never cried. She never saw her laughing. And um, she never seemed disappointed by anything. She just existed. And one day I asked her how she was. And she broke down into tears and shared much of her situation um, that had been ongoing for so long, the way that she'd pretty much been abused emotionally and physically by most of the people in her life um, in some way, shape or form. And um, she had kind of given up any dreams of a future being better, that she might amount to anything or that she might even have a place in the world. And she just existed. Doing well at school was just about making sure that she just went under the radar and that no one noticed her. She felt that she did have an identity, but it wasn't one that she really wanted. And um, she felt this was the most heartbreaking, unworthy of love and unworthy of anyone's kindness or anyone's time or effort. I got the absolute privilege, and it was my privilege, to journey with her for about four months to help her discover that there is a God out there who had something different and something true to say about her identity. I eventually got her a giant rock, so I thought that would be helpful. <laughs> and we started to write on this rock. Well, I started to write on this rock. True things to say about her. True things that God said over her life. Because it's so easy to etch onto our hearts 
the stuff that isn't true. And to write in the sand the stuff we hear in church when we hear people say, this is what God says about you. We write it in the sand and you know what the storms of life come and that sand gets washed away and there's no trace of what you've written. And yet all the rubbish that happens, and it does happen, gets etched onto our hearts and it means that no matter what storm or good experience happens, that's still firmly there as a good reminder of the rubbish that we've gone through and the identity we've given ourselves or the world has given us. So, etching into stone's a bit dangerous, I've discovered. I almost like, took a chunk out of my hand. So, I bought Sharpies, which were the next best thing to be impermanent. <laughs> and we Sharpied all over this stone. And it started off just me. And she did not believe what I was saying to her. But I was all right with that, because it's a process of letting the truth of what God says about you sink into your heart. And day after day, week after week, and month after month, this started to change. And we were able to etch or sharpie into stone the true things about her identity. This lovely girl started to realise that her identity was knotted up and woven into a story that was far bigger than she could imagine. And in a God who is way bigger and way more awesome than she could ever have thought. This changed everything for her. Everything except the rubbish situations that I couldn't get her out of. But she was able to dream and have confidence like she'd never had before. In fact, my favourite day is when she came um, up to me, and I'm not entirely sure why, but those of you that are my friends probably think that it could have been anything. But she started to take the mick out of me. <laughs> See, I told you. Who needs friends? <laughs> um, and uh, she was laughing so hard at her own joke to the point where she had tears in her eyes. Like I couldn't even begin to be annoyed because she was just laughing so much and I'd never seen that before. This search for belonging and acceptance has an impact on almost every aspect of our lives and it's not something that is true for teenagers only. It's true for us. Where do we fit? Where do we belong? What's our purpose? What do we bring to the table? Why would God choose us? Are we enough for our friendships? Are we enough for the job? Paul encourages encourages us in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of this household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Ron, you might not know this, but when you arrived last year, I realised that what I needed to do was maybe step back a little bit from treating this church like it was my home. I am known to leave a bit of a trail every Sunday, aren't I, Claire? Of my stuff lying around. In fact, today, I think it's because I had a right meltdown last week about my stuff being moved. But today, several people went, Is this your bag? I've kept it safe for you. So I'm really sorry if I was a bit neurotic last week. But I leave my stuff all over the place. And the reason is, soon after joining this church, I felt like I was home. I felt like this was part of my family, and this, you guys were my family. It means that I wanted to be involved. I wanted to get my hands dirty. I felt like I belonged, and I was all in. Because when you're part of a family, you get involved. 
Here's the fun part. Even God says you're my family. But with that comes a commitment on my part to be part of what we're doing as a family, to answer God's call and purpose for St. Saviour's. Whilst I know the notion of family conjures up different feelings and emotions in all of us, it's different when God's at the head of it. We can't always get rid of the dysfunction because it's made up of humans, isn't it? And we're dysfunctional. But in this family, identity, purpose, acceptance and belonging aren't defined by our experiences or other people. But identity, purpose, acceptance and belonging are rooted in God through Jesus. By accepting Jesus we get brought into the inner circle. Being fellow citizens of God's people, but members of this household. Our foundation and our heritage, and now our claim, is in Jesus. But more importantly, the building or the body that we're part of has Jesus as the cornerstone. The word cornerstone. I kind of like the word cornerstone. I am uh, no expert on buildings at all. But I did a little bit of research. It's always good to do a bit of research. And I found out that apparently modern buildings, and there's someone in here that's going to go, uh, what are you talking about? But apparently modern buildings, some modern buildings, don't really have a use for a cornerstone anymore. Um, but dated buildings and older buildings, especially in the Middle East, cornerstones were important. They're the thing that you cut all the other stones against and it helped the building stay up. Like, without it, the building would fall down. Okay? How reassuring is it to know that the building that I'm part of is held together by Jesus? And this purpose of the Holy Temple, it's so exciting. It says it's going to be a dwelling by which God lives by his spirit. I mean, that was really cool. Sorry, I got really excited at this point. I was reading it to Stephen earlier, and I was like, I was really excited about this bit. <laughs> we were able to be a dwelling by which God lives by his spirit. This is seriously, I've written, this is seriously awesome and significant. <laughs> when Jesus died on the temple, something amazing, well, lots of amazing things happened. You got to speak to the vicar and he'll tell you all of the amazing things that happened. But one of the amazing things was that this massive curtain that used to separate people from where God's dwelling place was, the holies of holies, okay, and it was separated by this massive thick curtain. It was torn in two completely, saying that, do you know what? You don't have a barrier now. Because of Jesus, there's no barrier between us and God. So God can dwell in our hearts and not in a particular place. Paul goes on to talk about the mystery that he's revealing to us. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers in the one promise of, of Jesus Christ. So Paul tells us that God has revealed a mystery about Jesus. He uses, his, he uses the word mystery, and it just translates as mystery in English, but in the Greek, it's mysterion or mysterion, I think. And it means... Um, like a secret that can only be revealed by God. So in Ephesus, as I was saying before, it's kind of like this spiritually crazy place. That's really cool that he uses that word because he's saying all these other mystical things that you're talking about, okay, but this mystery that I'm talking about, this is from God. This isn't the same as all the other mystical stuff that you know and all the spirituality that you've got going on. This is different. This is about Jesus, and it's been revealed to me by God. So, what's the big mystery? Just talked about that word. What's the big mystery? It's the fact that God, the gospel reconciles us not just to God, 
but to one another, both Jews and Gentiles, that's all of us, can now approach God on equal terms. If we're in Christ, then we are all, regardless of colour, social or cultural background, reconciled to God and to one another. This applies to every race, but I guess it must apply to every Christian denomination and all the barriers and differences that we create for ourselves. In Ephesus, the people following Jesus are largely Gentiles and perhaps have been finding it hard to find their identity in God's kingdom, especially when there are Jesus-loving Jews in the church who seem to have this inner circle based on their heritage. We can be really paralysed when we're confused about our purpose and identity. I've had the amazing privilege to go to Uganda a couple of times, three times in fact, loved it every time, totally wanted to be Ugandan each time. But on the first trip, we had to fill out these forms of application to go and say to the vicar why we thought it'd be a good idea for us to go. And I thought, this is easy. I just, I want to go. <laughs> That's my reason. And then there was like, okay, skills and things that you bring to the team. And I was like, whew, okay. And I had a complete meltdown privately. I was like, I don't even know what I bring to the table. Forget, bring your five loaves and two fishes. I don't even know where they are. Like, I don't, don't know why I should be on the team. I don't know whether I should go. Why should I go to Uganda? That's a really good question. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. What do I bring to the table? I'm in God's family. I get that part. Yep, I'm chosen. Yep, okay. But I don't feel like I have anything to bring to the table. If you feel like that, can we pray with you? Because it's important for us to let the truth of our actual heritage, which is rooted in a God who has loved you before you were even conceived, who had your purpose mapped out before you even decided to look his way. Maybe we just need to let that sink in. Maybe we need to hear God remind us that we're an important part of the family, and that is no accident. Hence why you have some tags to remind you. They say, I've written like a million of these, I don't know why I've forgotten what they say. (laughs) You are royal because you are a child of the king. And you were made on purpose, with purpose, for purpose, bought at a price, out of love. Where is your identity? Which bit needs to be etched into stone or onto your heart? What difference does it make to us to be heirs to all that God has promised? What impact does it have on us to know that God has a purpose for us to fulfill in this church? Do we treat each other like family? Are we all in? What's stopping us? Families are funny creatures. Some of us love every aspect of family life, and others of us can't wait for an opportunity to find a new one or not have one at all. And all of those other feelings that go in between on that continuum. Who? God's family is a little bit different, thankfully. Our identity unites us, but quite clearly our experiences are our differences. Who I am is knotted and woven into who God is. So I don't want to be someone who lets the broken and difficult family situations, my actual blood family, and this one. I don't want 
those difficult situations to define me. I want to love other people with the same love that I have for my blood family, and I want to be all in. I used to have, and probably somewhere deep down still do, so if you want to pray for me later, please do, have a deep-rooted fear and a really bad relationship with failure. A fear that I would not just fail at exams, but that I would fail at every aspect of doing life. So when certain knockbacks happen as they do, they equated to failure for me, every time. I even believed that I should never get married or have children because I probably would fail at that too. And I obviously have failed at things and relationships haven't worked out in the past. There was a time in Africa where a friend was praying for me and in fact we weren't even anywhere near each other and he said he had a word for me that it was time that I let God reclaim my identity and what defined me and that I needed to know that my identity wasn't rooted in fear or past experiences or family patterns but that I was rooted into something bigger and then when I took that on I let God heal the bits that were broken and that needed some sort of reconfiguration. So what's our take home from this part of Ephesians full of so much? Do you know that you are heirs to the covenant promise of God? As in, do you believe and know and accept in your heart that God loves you and calls you family because Jesus made it possible? Do you know that through Jesus you are near to God and you can have peace? Do you know that you have a purpose and you belong in this family? Do you know that you're not a guest? You're part of this family and therefore part of the global family of Jesus followers. Do you know that you are a treasure in a clay pot? That God really, really loves you and that he's asking you to get involved in encouraging others to realise this too. And he wants you to be all that you have become because you are... Um, because of who you are and because of God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. And that with those things being true, awesome things are going to happen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that um, there is literally nothing that we had to do to be part of your family, but because of your son, you did it all. And that there is no distinction between us. That we're all welcome. Father, I thank you that you made it possible that your Holy Spirit could dwell in us. So Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to come and make his dwelling in our hearts. God, where we've let our identity become knotted in something that is not you where our sense of purpose and belonging has disappeared. Would you unravel it? Would you knot it in the right place, Father? Would it be rooted and established in you? Father, where we've let experiences and words be etched on our hearts, would you heal it so that we can't see it anymore? And would you write something new 
would you write that we are royal because we're children of the king? And would you remind us that you made us on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose? In Jesus' name, amen.